So that was a great blessing. Now today, we are back in the book of Jude, and we've reached verse number 17. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to the book of Jude. And we're going to see if we can get through verse 17 to verse 23 today. Let's, let's begin by reading the text together. Starting in verse 17. It says, but you must remember, beloved. The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers. Following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So this part of Jude's letter, we have reached a shift from receiving information to now taking action based on the information we've been given. There are a few quali more qualities Jude mentions about false believers. But mainly we're going to focus now on the action Jude tells us to take. If you are paying attention, you see in, in a very brief statement, Jude gives us seven different actions that we must take based on the information he's given to us. 
Agamba mba mubutegede muina kola mubuteka mungkola muemuti. And as you study the Bible, you should always find this principle. God does not give us information just so it can sit in us. The information is meant to show you what you should do. God warns us in James chapter 1 that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only who can remind us of the, the warning James gives about the result that happens in a person's life when they are only a hearer and not a doer of God's word. <laughs> We're farther away from you now. You have to speak louder. <laughs> Okay. Amina. So I heard, I saw some people answering, but I couldn't hear what you were saying. So. What happens to a person who hears the word but never does the word? Yes. It's like someone viewing himself in a mirror and hmm. after walks around and forgets how he looks. Very good. You, you, you don't remember what you've learned. In, uh, in our curriculum here in school, our, our curriculum emphasizes new concepts. We're always learning new concepts. And you, and you get very little time to master that concept before your teacher gives you yet another concept. And the challenge for a student, unless he's mastered the first concept, of course, he's not going to understand the later concept, right? Well, God says, when we don't use what we have learned, we forget what we've learned. How many of you, even you teachers, 
Unless you teach math professionally. How many of you, if we put you in secondary mathematics, could remember how to solve linear equations and graph all of those different things? I think we, we have to pick on the head, head teacher, even the head teacher. Could you remember those things? You know? <laughs> yeah, so God says this, this, the same thing applies for us as Christians. And as we use study your Bible yourself, always look for this. God will give you a bunch of revelation. He will, he will tell you these are the way things are. And then he will say, so this is what you should do. And a lot of us are very bad at putting that action into practice. Much of what Jude has described might intimidate us. He's told us that we have people in our fellowship who might actually be serving Satan here in our church. And they might be very positive that they know God. But they're actually working against Christ. Notice, Jude says when we see what he's predicted come true, that should actually encourage us. So my first word for us today is be encouraged by the problems that we see. And the reason we should be encouraged by it is because we see the promises of God coming true. And there should be nothing more encouraging to a believer than seeing how God's word proves true. Because everything about our faith is dependent on what God says will happen. In the church in Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul gives us an example of this in his first letter to them in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul writes to these believers in a time where he's been imprisoned. And the church is being persecuted 
everywhere. And he's concerned as a father for his children. That what they see the apostles facing might discourage them from believing. What does Satan often try to tell you when you are facing huge problems in your life? What things can he bring to your mind? God doesn't care. God doesn't love you. God doesn't love me. God has forsaken you. God has forgotten about me. Okay? Those are things that Satan brings in to discourage us. Seeking to get us to look at our circumstances not through the truth of God's word, but just through the circumstances we're passing through. I want you to see what 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 says. From verse 1 to verse 4. It says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. That no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. I want you to tell me, church, what are you destined for according to the Bible? As followers of Christ, we are destined for what? According to verse 3. Afflictions. You are destined, if you are a follower of Christ, to suffer as Christ suffered for you. So in verse 4, Paul says, For when we were with you, when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we are to suffer affliction. Jude 
just as it has come to pass and just as you know. So Paul is saying that contrary to being discouraged by these problems, we can be encouraged by the fact that they prove what God says is true. So that's the first point I want to call your attention to. We should respond in faith, not in fear. For us to be surprised that Satan opposes the church, would be as foolish as a goat being surprised when a lion ate it. No animal is surprised when a lion tries to eat it because that is a lion's nature. Since we know what Satan's nature is, opposition and resistance from him shouldn't be surprising to us. God has made it very clear we have an enemy who wrestles against us. And he desires to devour us. So we must respond in faith believing God's promises. In 1st John chapter 4 verse 4 God, God promises little children you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And we must pay careful attention to obey God's instructions for how we defend ourselves. In Ephesians, chapter, in Ephesians chapter 6, from verse 13 to verse 18, I'm going to read it in English first in its entirety, then Charles will translate. God instructs us, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, 
and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Mulioke muinzenga o kuguma kuna korubi, elabu mulimala o kukola o kukola biona musovolo kuyimirida. Kale muyimiridenga ngamwesiye muchwato muchwato cha muamazima. Elanga muambade echo muchifuba o kutukirivo. Elanga muna ni semu vigere o kwete kateka o kwenjiri eyemirembe. Elabu ebiona ngamukwati deko engabo eyo kukiriza eneba yizi sanga eneba yizi eneba yizi sanga. So failure to heed those instructions is failure, failure to act on the warnings that we've been given which we know will lead to our destruction and unfruitfulness. So now, Kakati. Jude mentions three things, three last characteristics of false believers. So we're going to go over them quickly, and then we're going to come to our calls to action. So the first thing Jude mentions is that these people cause division. Are you a divisive person? Well, that's not a good characteristic. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. A peacemaker is the opposite of causing division. But as we've seen already, false believers, they sow division among the brethren. In almost any church that has fellowship together for some years, divisive people have arisen. And one of the ways that they that you can identify them is they often have something that is not primarily important that becomes their primary point of emphasis. 
Baine ngeri jebesi baku busongo butali bukuru. Nebabu fulo bukuru enyo. Nebabu soso waza nebasinzi iloko. And as, as, as always, you're going to see that there can be true believers that, that are guilty of looking like a false believer. So if what God is saying fits with your persona and your characteristics, you need to change. So some, some groups advocate certain points of the law. While neglecting others. Some groups emphasize the need to use a certain translation of the Bible from a certain language. Some emphasize a certain system of theology. And there are others who emphasize a certain group of theologians' positions on Scripture. Like in, in Western churches, it's common for people to say, that oh this is what the reformers said about this issue or this is what the puritans had to say about that issue and what should we be concerned about when we're looking at any issue do you as a member of Lubumba Community Church just need to ask yourself well what did Musumba Jonathan have to say about that? As long as I know what he said I, I know what's true. No, you need to know what does the Bible say about that issue. Now we have seen in previous studies that God does call for separation from people who claim to follow Christ, but don't keep his commands. But the people Jude is describing are people who make issues out of unimportant and wrong things. Paul spoke this way of the Corinthian believers. 
who had divisions based on their favorite teachers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, from verse 4 to verse 6, actually from verse 4 to verse 7, we read this. For when one person says, I follow Paul, and another one says, I follow Apollos, aren't you behaving merely as human beings? Who then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted. A, Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. So we should be on guard against people who are continuously followed by conflict. One of the characteristics of people who get into conflict is that they have no ability to forgive other people. And, and rather than forgiving, they share what is going on with, with other people to turn other people away from the person that this person is upset with. So I've got to ask us all, what, what person in the description I've just given are you? Are you someone who turns people against other people? Or are you someone who can overlook an offense? And can forgive from your heart. That's a contrast between someone who has God's spirit and someone who does not. The second characteristic is he said these are worldly people. Now I want you to help me. Describe for me a worldly person. Who, what does a, a worldly person look like? What does a worldly person do? Yes, sir. person? Is this person whose mind and all his plans 
uh, after uh, self satisfaction in mm. all worldly things. Mm. No matter whether he, he receives the, the worldly things in a good way or bad way, so long as is going to gratify his satisfaction, his desires. So hmm. they are always on search to gather as, okay. as much as they can. Very good. So a worldly person seeks satisfaction in this world, in material things. What things does a worldly person love? What things do, does a worldly person love? Go ahead, George. Money. Money. Okay. Uh -huh. What do you do? Comfort. Comfort. Okay. What about sin? So then, re ref reflexively, or, or a reaction to that, the question for us reading this is, what things do you love? Because you've described for me a worldly person, but now we have to ask ourselves, am I describing me? Are those the, are those the things I love? Is the world where I seek my satisfaction? In 1 John chapter 2, God warns us about those who love the world and its ways like this. In 1 John chapter 2, from verse 15 to verse 17, we read this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you notice that? If I love the world, who do I not love? I don't love God. Because the world and God are opposed to each other. God, God hates the things produced by the world. And the world hates the nature of God. So for me to say, oh, I love Jesus. And I also love the world. The Bible would tell me I am deceiving myself. You, I love one or the other. Then verse 16 and 17 tell us why it's impossible. Says, for all that is in the world, 
The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. Okay. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We've got to ask ourselves, what things am I seeking satisfaction in? What things have I sacrificed? That show the love in my heart is for God and not for things in this world. Now, this is a hard thing to consider. As we may see, we are guilty in this area. We are called out of the world. But formerly, we were part of the world. So much of our former nature Remains, remains accustomed to the world. However, something that you will see in a genuine believer is while he may be tempted by the world, he is no longer a slave to worldly desire. Because the Bible says he's become a slave to righteousness. Thirdly, Jude says these people are devoid of the Spirit. The English word devoid means entirely lacking in something. It's totally absent. So these, pe these people have nothing of God's spirit in them. Now we've, we've been looking at this point in recent weeks. So let's remind one another again. What shows a person does not or does possess God's spirit? Fruits. Fruits, okay? Fruits of the Spirit. And what are the fruits of the Spirit that we've been 
Going over. Does it mean that now I drive a car where I used to walk barefoot? Now I have a house where I used to only rent. Now, now I'm married when no one used to love me. Are, are those the fruits of God's spirit? No, what, tell me, what are the fruits of God's spirit? Love. Love. Uh -huh. Joy. Sanyu. Patience. Peace. Self, someone said self-control. Very good. So remember, these are all things that are transforming us in what we do. And while Satan can copy the miracles of God, and Satan can give prosperity, Satan cannot produce the righteousness of God in anyone. Because he's a slave to what he is. So when we find these qualities lacking in a person, when we say, ah, oh, that one's totally empty of love, totally empty of peace, totally empty of self-control, totally empty of gentleness, what can we conclude about them? They don't know God. And that's where, once again, we need to look at ourselves. And say, am I empty in something I shouldn't be empty in? Okay, time is running. Verse 20 brings us to the call to action. So Jude saying, you are not false, you are genuine. So what should you do? Jude gives us seven things to do in three verses. We're going to look at each one of them. The first thing he says is that we are to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. The Greek word for faith means what you've been persuaded or convinced of. So we are to build ourselves up more and more in the truth 
that we've believed. Jude has just warned us about many things false teachers do. And how Satan seeks to lead us away from truth. What is the great protection from lies? Truth. Very good. Like, aren't there some people that you know very, very well? And if you heard someone speaking evil about them, you'd be like, I know this person very well. I know that's not true. The best, the best way, the best way for us to be protected from all of these deceptions is to build our knowledge of the truth and our foundation in the truth more and more and more. So how, how, do, how do I build upon my faith what I've already believed? How do I add to it? Well, Jesus gives us a helpful beginning in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7 from verse 24. We read this instruction. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell. And the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall. Because it, because it had been founded on the rock. So we see how we build ourselves up is making application of God's word. And there's a second part that comes with that. God is going to give you tests of faith. Where circumstances make it very difficult to make application of what God is telling you to do. When you don't have very much financially, and someone comes to you begging, saying, I have no food at home. And you say, well, even me, I only have food for the next two days. And the Holy Spirit then prompts you with what you know. That when Jesus taught us to pray, we were supposed to rely on him for how many days bread? Just today. But Lord, I just have two days bread. 
And if I, if I give away the second days, then I have to trust you to give me bread tomorrow. And God says, exactly. So do you believe? Do you trust me? Isn't that what God did with Abraham? When he had promised he was going to make a great nation from Isaac. And while Isaac was still a boy and had no children, God told Abraham, take Isaac, your son, and go and offer him as a burnt offering. Now, did that commandment make any sense with what God had promised? But Abraham passed the test because he believed. And you and I, we will get stronger and stronger in our faith when God gives you a test and you don't say, oh no, this, this time we can't trust God. Because that, 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 well, that would be going too far. That would be impossible. No, you, you only get to say what the psalm writer says when he, when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You only get that testimony when you have tried the promises of God even when they haven't made sense. That's how we build ourselves up to become more and more confident in what we have first believed. We have some Christians in this congregation, they've been in the faith many years. I think they would all share with younger believers that their confidence has grown. That their faith is much larger than what it used to be. Because they have built their life on the promises of God. So first Jude tells us since you know there's all these false pretenders build yourselves build yourselves ground yourselves deep in the truth that no one can lead you astray. Build yourselves. 
Then secondly, and this is the, we'll finish with this today because time has, has caught us. He tells us we are to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now this instruction, I think, is one that might confuse some people. Because, what, because of what people think of when they think of doing something in the Spirit or under the Spirit's control. We, we have this understanding that when you're full of the Holy Spirit that you're, you're somehow carried away. But Jude is not describing something that is outside of our control. Okay, he's saying this is dependent on us. So we need to understand here that this is something that we have the ability to do. So what does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus' words in another place are again helpful for us to understand. Go with me. Go with me to John chapter 17. John 17. The context of this is Jesus is praying for believers. And we're going to read from verse 20 to verse 23. And pay careful attention to what he says. He says, I do not ask for these only. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Now notice what that means. I in them, and you in me, that, we, that they may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus describes the same relationship as Jude does. 
being in Christ, being in the Spirit, being in the Father, means we have oneness in relationship. Now what does that mean? Well, let's consider how the Holy Spirit and the Father's relationship is described to us in prayer in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 26 and 27, we read this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we should. So what's, what's this weakness that Paul is describing that we all have in prayer? We are limited by what? My own mind. Sometimes I pray for things that are not good things. Just because I'm not God, I'm not all-knowing, I don't know what is good in every situation. Sometimes I pray for some of you when I, when I hear you're sick. Because my heart goes out to you. And I say, God, have mercy on this one. Raise this one up. And yet God keeps you very sick. And you know what I know from what the Bible says. That I'm not praying for you with what you need. Because if it was what God really wanted to do in your life, he would raise you up. But the fact that he says no means that that illness is something that's better in your life for what God is doing in your life through that illness. So what does the Holy Spirit do for us then? In our weakness. It says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I, I love this expression. If you, want to, if you want to know how much God loves you, look at the way His Spirit prays for you. His emotions are so deep for you that they can't be expressed in words. This means he sheds tears on your behalf. He cares so much for us. Groanings too deep for words. Have you ever been choked up where you can't you can't speak because emotionally you're just you're overwhelmed. And, 
And God says of his Holy Spirit, in our weakness, because we don't pray for the right things, the Holy Spirit, he cries tears over us. God, don't give them those things that are bad for them. Give them what is your purpose, because that's what's best. In verse 27, it says, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Don't, don't miss this when we're for you to understand what it means for us to be in God and God in us. How does the Father know the mind of the Spirit according to this statement? Because he says, because the Spirit's mind is the same as my mind. How do I know what the Holy Spirit wants? Because he wants exactly what I want. So when you are told to pray in the Holy Spirit, who, whose prayers are you to be in agreement with? The Holy Spirit. We are to pray in one mind, in one person, in one spirit with the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Jesus mentioned Jesus mentioned in one place that whatever the father does the son does likewise and you and I are supposed to be exactly like Christ is in, in demonstrating the way we're supposed to be one with God so and I'll illustrate this with marriage. One of the biggest reasons we have friction in marriage is because you come into marriage and you become one, yet you have two very independent minds. And one thinks, ah, everything must be like this. And the other one thinks everything should be like this. So God, so God gave us a solution to that problem. He tells husbands, you sacrifice yourself. To your wife, 
to your wife as Christ gave himself for you. So the husband's supposed to retrain his mind to not be thinking about what do I want, what do I need. But what, does, what can I do for my wife? And the solution for the wife is that she must have the same reverence for her husband that she does for Christ. And you know that if wives, if you really want to understand the depth of how you're supposed to look at your husband, the same word is used to describe Jesus in the book of Hebrews when it says that he, he, he made supplication with tears and, and cries, loud tears and cries to his father. And the Bible says, the Bible says, and he was heard, not because of who he was, but because of his reverence. Now if anyone had a right to, to speak with familiarity to the Heavenly Father, it would be God the Son, right? But Jesus didn't look at his Father that way, nor approach him that way. No, he, he fit himself into his father's mind. And he honored his father in everything. Because I, I haven't come to do my will, I came to do my father's will. And wives, you'd be served well if you quit having independent purposes from your husband. We are not supposed to have independent purposes from the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we've been bought Therefore, we are not our own. So glorify God in your body. How can we know what God's will is? How can I pray like this? That leads me back to point number one. I have to, I have to build myself up in the truth so I can learn what God's mind is. Do you know that I know that today I am supposed to give thanks for President Biden 
President Putin, Putin, President Museveni, and all the leaders of the world. Because God tells me in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that this is what I want everywhere that the men would lift up holy hands offering prayers, supplications, intercessions, and thanksgiving for all people and those in high places that we may live a peaceful and quiet life that's God's will. He goes on to say that in our supplications for those people we're to pray for their salvation. And do you know why? Because it says God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You say, oh, it's a mystery. How do I pray in the Holy Spirit? Let me, let me climb to the top of this tree where I can get nearer to the Holy Spirit. And I will stay here until he speaks to me. Unless I get very hungry, then I'll go down. No, if you, if you want to know God's mind, you better open this book. And you, be, you better meditate on it. And you better do what it says. Otherwise, you're not going to know him. John chapter 1 verse 1 In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You don't find God looking inside yourself. You find him through what he has told us about himself. This is what we must build ourselves up in church. The more you hear these things, the less excuse you have. None of you can say, oh, I didn't know. Oh, that was a very clever lie. It, it caught me off guard. No. No, if you're following this, if you're putting it into action, it will be impossible for anyone to deceive you. Because you have the mind of Christ. Let's pray.